Welcome to episode 11 of An Unscripted Woman, a podcast that's all about women living luminous lives. I'm Leo Cooper Jepson, and I'm so glad you're here. Since releasing my book at the end of 2015, many of you have expressed a desire to hear me read an audio version of my book, Unscripted, A Woman's Living Prayer. This podcast is my creative response to that desire. Each week, I'll be reading a chapter from my book aloud on this podcast, and then we'll be riffing a bit on what I'm aware of and what I've learned since writing it. To make it easier to follow along, you'll find that each episode of this podcast corresponds to the title of each chapter from my book. And I'll remind you, just like you don't need to read the chapters of my book in order, you also don't need to listen to the podcast in order. Just begin where you are. Beyond that intention, I'm not entirely sure where this podcast will go, but I'm willing to find out if you are. I hope you'll join me. Here's how. Follow this podcast on SoundCloud or subscribe to it via iTunes so each new episode will magically appear in your podcast feed. If you follow my blog or my She Changes Facebook page, you'll see each episode posted out there as well. As always, you can find out more about me and my business at shechanges.com. So here we go. Chapter 11, one of these is not like the others. And the quote at the top of the chapter, affirmations are like screaming that you're okay in order to overcome this whisper that you're not. That's a big contrast to actually uncovering the whisper, realizing that it's a passing memory and moving closer to all those fears and all those edgy feelings that maybe you're not okay. Pema Chodron. One late spring day, as the end of the school year was wrapping up, I got an email from another mom of a classmate in my youngest son's first grade. She told me they were coordinating a last day of school gathering at a nearby park that has a shallow pool with water spouts that squirt in the air. It was unseasonably warm weather, a perfect excuse to get a jump start into summer and blow off some steam. At the moment I received this invitation, I had two distinct emotions hit home, guilt and dread. The guilt was because I was reminded that, unlike my eldest child, I hadn't made much of an effort to get into my youngest child's classroom, so I didn't really know the kids, let alone the parents. And just like that, in the blink of an eye, his first grade experience was over. I kicked myself for letting that ball drop, but secretly knew I wouldn't have done it done it much differently. I just wasn't born for the elementary school classroom. Teenagers were more my beat, but had the utmost respect for the parents, mostly moms, who did. And even more secretly, I resented the pressure I felt as a mom to be involved with school. It seemed that moms were expected and simply assumed to play an active role. After all, I was the one to get the emails about snacks, read-alouds, classroom supplies, PTO volunteering, play dates, and birthday parties. My husband did not, even though he was the one to do the grocery shopping. Whenever dads got involved with the school, it seemed like people fell over backwards to thank them and acknowledge how incredibly gracious it was for them to come in and volunteer, taking time away from their busy days. But moms, that shit was a given. But somewhere in my youth, a part of me watched and made note as my single working mom got asked for one thing or another and time and time again, pick, 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 like her feathers were being plucked out by an unseen bird and said, no, thank you. 
sometimes even punctuated by a maniacal laugh, like when she was approached to make tricky trays for my sister's upcoming band concert. I'm sure the laughter was undoubtedly the product of much stress, but it was also just plain funny, the ludicrous demands made of mothers. Part of me yearned to have one of those moms, the ones who brought orange slices in Rubbermaid containers to cross-country meets, or who were always seen in the hallways of the schools or at events, helping to set up or clean up. But mostly, I was just proud of her. I could see how hard she was working to provide for us. I felt loved, treasured, really, and respected by her. And at the end of the day, that was enough for me. Even though I did love those orange slice moms, too, I just adopted them. But who didn't? They were everybody's moms' moms, and they seemed to be born for it. When I grew up and had my own kids, I kind of had the inkling that the apple hadn't fallen too far from the tree. I filled out all the right forms to volunteer, smiled enthusiastically about the idea of parents coming into classrooms and being part of an engaged school community, but didn't follow through with much of it because I didn't really feel like it. It just wasn't my strength, and I didn't want to fake it. But that didn't stop the guilt from having its way with me. I love my kids dearly, but I honestly don't love all kids universally. In fact, I don't care for an alarmingly large percentage of them. And when I felt that I should, that should weighing heavily on me to volunteer, I just couldn't seem to muster the energy to engage in small talk with someone just because we're logistically thrown into a situation together. It rarely felt like a genuine desire, except in those magical divine moments when you end up finding your long-lost sister on the playground. That was the case when I stumbled upon Noel. I was dropping off my youngest, then 15 months, at his childcare that morning, and all, as always, I sat down on the carpet with him in my lap, both of us just getting our bearings on a new day. In comes another mom who did the same thing. She plopped down right next to me and let out a deep sigh. We started talking, and, like magic, we connected. The kids had long since crawled away, but that was no concern of ours. This woman and I were talking about our work. She was a journalist who had recently re relocated from San Francisco, and I had just given notice at my corporate job and was starting my own business. I don't think we talked about our kids once. I remember drinking that connection up with that mom because I found it so damn refreshing. But I was wrong. Not about that woman. She remained magical. About my hope that I'd fit in with the other moms. It was fleeting and crashed and burned shortly thereafter, never to get some good air under its wings again. I'm sure it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or something, but I've always had this wincing face of effort showing up when it came to connecting with other moms. My voice got higher than normal, and I just became ungrounded, like I lost myself somewhere. If my experience had a soundtrack behind it, it would have been from that, that song from Sesame Street that goes, one of these things is not like the others. I don't think most people know this about me. I work hard to deflect it, and frankly, I'm pretty extroverted and gregarious anyway. That people might, not, people might be a bit shocked to learn my true feelings. Actually, I've never felt more alone, more isolated, more vulnerable than I do with a pack of moms. And as a mom, that's a heretical, outlandish, flat-out mean thing to admit. We're not supposed to talk about those things, but I just did. 
So on that late spring day, when I received the invitation to bring my son to the gathering in the park after school, I reached for my wincy face and headed out the door with dread and guilt nipping at my heels. I had a mean lady voice in my head calling me selfish. This is what moms do and like it. We arrived at the park and my youngest son ran off to join his friends, immediately whooping and splashing in the water. And indeed, the mean lady's voice seemed to have a solid point. The moms who had gathered appeared to be thoroughly enjoying themselves. But then I had another thought. What if they were faking it like I was? What if they really didn't want to be here either and were making small talk with people they didn't particularly know or want to know? In fact, I mused further as my eyes scanned the perimeter of the pool, looking for a lone woman who had removed herself from the fray. What if there was a woman just like me out there, feeling so alone but surrounded by people? Does she also feel the tinge of resentment that she took an afternoon off from work to be here, taking a hit for the team so that Junior could have some fun? But I will never know the answers to those questions because that's just not something you bring up with other moms. It's certainly not a conversation starter unless you want to make yourself a pariah. I found a spot on the brittle crabgrass-covered hill and I decided I would just sit in the sun get some much-needed vitamin D, and watch my son play, an option that felt infinitely more doable and genuine than introducing myself as someone's mom and engaging in a conversation I didn't really want to have. But as I sat there on the hill, I began to get sad. More than just feeling sorry for myself, I was actually questioning my ability to engage with other women, which is an alarming conversation to have, considering I have built my entire business around that same skill. As I looked around at the crowd of people, I realized that I never feel more alone than in these moments just like this one. I said cruel things to myself then, like I was weird, unsociable, and a bad mom. Thankfully, just before my thoughts escalated into a full-blown case of self-doubt, I heard this oomph as someone sat down next to me, really close to me, almost snug. I looked at the woman and almost burst out into tears with relief. It was my magical friend, the one I had met on the floor at childcare. Her kids went to a neighboring school, and apparently someone at their school had organized a similar outing. outing. Lucky me. She smiled like we'd never been apart, although we hadn't seen each other for months. I held back my tears, deciding to save those for later, and simply said, I needed a friend right now, and here you are. Again, she smiled. She's magic that way. She just gets me, which feels deliciously good, as it is rare. In the many downright scary moments when I have had to engage with other moms to either advocate for my child or intervene in something, my heart has beaten wildly out of my chest because directness, it seems, isn't acceptable behavior for women. It's seen as aggressive and combative. I believe bitch is the term I'm looking for. Like the time my eldest son was getting bullied, He was being hit repeatedly by this boy in the neighborhood, despite telling the kid to stop. It seems they made a game of it, slapping each other with a flat, wide hand, a five-star, as hard as they could when no one was looking. Except my son was the only one getting hit, repeatedly, and then sidekicked in the knee, and then told that he smelled like diaper shit and accused of never showering. And then the kids went after his family, telling him to go home and cry to his fat mom and his fat dog. These were his friends, mind you, kids he had grown up with, turned sour. 
Needless to say, he finally made his way home to his fat mother. He literally looked like he'd been punched, not in his face, but in his spirit. I looked at him and asked if everything was okay. Out the story came. His one side of the story. I reminded myself with his perspective of what had happened. We talked about bullying. He asked for defense classes, wanting to learn Aikido. We talked about how middle school could be a cruel time and how it often brought out the worst in kids as they sorted it all out. He sobbed some more, asking almost as a question, this is going to build my character, right? My heart broke a little in that moment, knowing I couldn't spare him what he was going through and that he was most likely just starting down that horrifically bumpy and grueling stretch of road. After talking some more, we decided the best thing he could do was just to remove himself from the situation, making himself unavailable to those kids so he wouldn't end up in the same place again. The moment passed, but the crack in my heart grew wider and filled with something hard, like ice. As I processed the conversation later that day with my husband, I was shocked to hear his reaction would have been to march up the street and rip the punk kid a new asshole. In that moment, I envied him being a man. Women don't often give themselves permission to march up streets and rip new assholes, but oh, how delicious that sounded in that moment. Just call it, draw the line, put a finger in the chest, give the hairy eyeball and say, do we understand each other? Bam, done, end of story. But I'm not a man, I'm a bitch apparently. So I just sat and stewed on it instead of marching and ripping. In my experience, as a woman engaging in conflict with another woman, it seems there is no end of the story. Not like there would have been if my husband had been the one to address it. There is just this indirect and obtuse trickle of toxic words and exchanges drawn out like a period of week, drawn out across a period of weeks, sometimes months, mostly about you, but rarely directed to you. These words and pieces of stories are carefully crafted, caressed like treasured pets, and rehearsed repeatedly with just about anyone who will listen. And just in case you're wondering, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not denying it. Case in point, the next day I was getting my hair cut and telling the story to my stylist, who is probably one of the most badass women I know. I knew how she'd react, so clearly I was telling her to hear it. She's an asshole ripper, and she doesn't have kids, so she doesn't know the code yet. Sure enough, she paused and said, Lael, what those kids were doing, that's not okay. That's bullying, and you have to say something. If it were your kid bullying another kid, wouldn't you want to know? I thought back to the calls I'd, heard over the year, I'd had over the years, the heart-beating kind, when I was on the receiving end of some hard-to-hear news about my son, a time when he was being cruel and singling a friend out. I remember getting a call from this mom and being so grateful for her courage to reach out to me directly rather than letting it out in toxic trickle for everyone to drink. I remember opening my heart to her, listening deeply, and assuring her we would talk to our son immediately. In hindsight, it was a beautiful exchange that I tucked away as a model of how two moms can have a hard conversation. With that memory as my inspiration, the next day I made a courageous decision and a huge mistake. Unfortunately for my son, the two happened in rapid fire, as is in my style. The decision was to reach out to the kid's mom to let her know that my son wouldn't be coming over to her house and why. 
The mistake was that I didn't tell my son first that I had changed my mind, that I was not not just going to sit silent and turn the other cheek, but actually I was going to say something directly. I wasn't going to rip a new asshole. I was going to call that behavior out as bullying and say that it wasn't okay with us. When I finally connected with the other mom over the phone, someone I'd known for years, but only distantly, rarely socially, my heart beat so loudly I thought for sure she could hear it. I decided to keep it brief and clear, just letting her know that because of some behavior recently, we've decided it was best that our son not come over to her house. I said I would, I would want to know, so I thought she might. Long silence. No questions about her son's behavior. Then a lot of comments about how boys need to work out their own relationships and how they're old enough now that they should be allowed to. I was thrown, not expecting or desiring to engage in a philosophical conversation with this woman on best practices of parenting. So I just tried to reassert the point that my son wouldn't be playing over there in case her son was wondering or asking. When I went to the house that night, I cleaned up the shitstorm created by my mistake. As a family, we talked about bullying and the need to call it out and stand up to it as adults and how scary that can be for kids. We talked about trust, giving it and breaking it, and what we'd learned. We talked about violence in our society and how it's not okay to hit someone, especially when someone is saying no. We even talked about rape and the cycle of abuse and how it often asks victims to do the same thing, to be silent and forget it happened, never talk about it again. We talked about using our words to affect change and how that takes courage. It was awful, emotionally draining and rugged, but eventually yielded some good lessons, as most of the best learning experiences do. I remember being wrung out and sobbing on my bed that night, wishing I'd just asked my husband to do his street marching and ass ripping. But part of me was proud. I had been courageous enough to stand up for, for my son and to name bullying for what it is. I knew there would be a price to pay. I knew there would be a price to pay for my actions, and that's what exhausted me most. I knew my actions would be branded with a bitch stamp and that I'd hear about it eventually. I remember feeling so lonely, my husband's unwavering support, not touching my need for another woman's, a fellow mom's soothing words of reassurance. I knew a few lifelines, but it was late, so I let it go. But the other woman didn't. I heard about it two weeks later in a scathing Facebook message, saying I had crossed the line and offering me unsolicited feedback on parenting. It was so much more violent than an ass-ripping, let me assure you. And thankfully, because it was the eve of my 46th birthday and when I had candles to blow out, presents to unwrap, and a busted give-a-shit meter from the previous 10 years, my eyes stopped reading at let me give you some unsolicited feedback. I love that moment when I said no, thank you, which is what I replied back to her before I blew out my candles. I'm starting to get used to my directness at this age in my life. It gets me into trouble sometimes, but it's also the reason I'm able to make a living doing what I do. It comes naturally to me, that directness, but it has me take but it has taken me years to shed the shame of it. I've learned to sidestep the not nice and being mean comments as not mine to own. 
When I think back to my magical mom friend and the other mom who courageously reached out to me for a tough conversation, I see my heart in those interactions, my big, fat heart. So that's chapter 11 of my book, entitled, One of These is Not Like the Other. And here's a bit of a riff on what I have appreciated and learned and I'm aware of since then. Um, This topic, this chapter talks about is essentially at its core, angry, anger, the topic of anger, and all its cousins um, combined in that. So you've got conflict, um, directness, this whole bitch thing we talk about. You've got shame embedded in there. You've got uh, biting your tongue, silencing yourself, playing small, um, diminishing our feelings, um, all of those things. But at the core of it is really this topic of anger. And I was interviewed recently by Love Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle last year, and you can find that episode on the homepage of my website um, if you want to listen to more of it. But what Dr. Lisa immediately zoomed in, having read my book, is she said, I want to talk to you about anger and women. And I was really amazed. I, I, I guess I was amazed, but it, it does come up fairly frequently um, because it seems like it's a conversation that wants to happen. And I was listening to another podcast today, and I would highly recommend, after listening to this one, to go to a beautiful writer's podcast. And um, Linda Sigridson and Danielle Laporte, and she has other guest hosts. But the one that I listened to today was with Glennon Melton Doyle, who recently wrote her second book, Love Warrior. And Glennon was talking about the number one thing she thought, you know, writing this book was so, um, she felt so vulnerable. She was putting so much out there about um, adultery and um, sex and uh, where that intersects with religion and porn and all this other stuff. But she said, do you know what I hear about the most? I hear about anger and how hard that is to be with. And frankly, she said some people have found it repulsive because of that. And I would echo that. Um, I talk about it a lot. My clients, it is one of the number one topics. And I frankly, I have a bit of a different relationship to anger that has taken me years and years to cultivate and to sort of heal the shame that I have carried with that. My book, writing my book was a big part of healing that shame. Um, But I echo when Glennon Melton Doyle in this interview, she said um, that anger has become her best fuel. And then right behind that, Martha Beck, who was the co-interviewer for this podcast, said, yes, anger is the immune system for the soul. The immune system for the soul. And I absolutely love that framework. Um, Because in the work that I do with women and the work that I do with myself in my own head is I actively differentiate anger from violence. So, so frequently in our society, we combine the two so they are one and the same. And we we all know um, how violent our society is. We certainly, as women, are all too aware of the violence against women um, implied 
actual, verbal, physical. It's just media. It's, it's, it's everywhere, suggested, implied. It's, it's just everywhere. It's so pervasive. So when, you, when we have that relationship to violence and we're so keenly aware of it, we're not inclined to contribute to it. So therefore, when we come up against anger as women, we think it's one and the same because I think we've been trained that it is the same. And what a lot of the work that I do is I, and I'm, I'm separating my hands, is I, I uncouple those two things. Violence is, is an act. Violence is a, is a choice. Anger is an emotion. It's a very human, basic emotion that's very real. And in my experience, in my life, in the women that I work with, it often points us to our deepest truth. It often points us to injustice that we see in the world. So there, like Glennon says, it becomes this amazing rocket fuel to create change, to advocate, to use our voice, to use ourselves, to create um, change in the world, to stand up, as I did in the instance of naming something as bullying and not actually being silent about it and turning the other cheek, but putting a name on it and drawing a line in the sand with my toe saying, that's not okay. And I love how Martha Beck talks it, uses it, um, she calls it the immune system for the soul. It's where in the absence of addressing it and honoring it and giving it voice and then acting upon it, we might get sick, we might get compromised, we might get congested, we might get bitter and resentful because it's not being expressed, it's being carried inside ourselves. And so it is such an important topic and it is such a big topic among women. So um, what I'd have you look at, and I, I know I've referenced this in other um, episodes of this podcast, but to ask yourself, what is your relationship, what is your current relationship with anger? And is it different? How is it different from violence in your mind's eye? And then ask yourself, what's your relationship with conflict? And and then explore a bit of how might you be participating in your own shame. So as women, nothing rattles cages more. And Glennon says this in her book. It's amazing how we are. it is not okay for a woman to be angry. When a woman gets angry, um, all bets are off. We, we freak out as a society. Um, we shut it down pretty fast. So it's amazing how that still isn't okay. So society does a fantastic job at shaming women who express anger. Think about that angry feminist thing that's sort of still out there. Um, so that's all well and good. That's society. We're working to change that. But in terms of what's in your control, ask yourself, where are you participating in your own shame around that? Um, and so the other thing that I'd offer you is that this isn't about comfort. So often, um, and Brene Brown talks about this, so many people write about this, Glennon Doyle talks about this, is we expect conflict, directness, expression of anger to somehow be comfortable. And let me tell you, it's never, never comfortable. In my own experience, in any instance I have ever seen, it always requires courage. And I love Brene Brown's definition of courage being the, um, the ability to tell your story with your whole heart. That's where I'm at. That's 
how I want to live my life. And that's where my clients want to go for the whole story of living my whole story with my whole heart. So maybe start to look at where might you be telling your st- where might you be doing that? Where are you in your life telling your story with your whole heart? And where might you be editing it or telling the abridged version or maybe even omitting some key passages in your story? And I'll tell you that in my work that I do with women, often what I see that gets in the way of this is obviously fear, right? It's a huge motivator. It's a huge power shutdown switch that we throw. And so often I'll hear women say, they can't handle me. They can't, they can't handle it. Oh, man. They couldn't, and they have images of expressed anger as being a mushroom cloud, uh, of, of just like laying waste to everything in front of them. And they'll say that, they, that wouldn't go over well. They can't handle, they couldn't handle that. And what they're really saying is they can't handle me. And what they're really saying is I'm too much. And so what I'll often call them on and what I call myself on and have been called on is at its core, that's really an excuse. And what if they could actually handle you? But you're using that excuse of them not being able to handle you as an excuse to stay small, to stay comfortable. So notice where you're saying you're using other people as an excuse not to express something that you might be uncomfortable with or ashamed of. And so um, join me here. <laughs> Play with this a little bit. It is a anger and conflict. If I look at the role women are playing in the world right now, it is a competency. It is an emotion. If I look at the political environment, we're in mid-October with two weeks. If I look at this election that we're in, it's, it's here. It's here now, this topic. And I watch as uh, Hillary engages in debates and how she's navigating it. It's a razor-thin line to walk as a woman. Um, and the more women that walk that line and the more women that get out there and play with this, because this is a basic human emotion we have to express, and it's often pointing to injustice. It's often pointing to truth. Um, I think the line... Uh, gets bigger and it gets sturdier. And like I said, all it takes is one other woman joining you to stand taller, um, to feel validated, to be more emboldened, um, and to take action. So join me there if you're so inclined. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. And here's to living unscripted and having access to more of who we are and letting our bright lights shine freely. Go ahead, be luminous.